<laughs> I always joke with Chris before every episode that we're going to start it like we're a bunch of YouTubers. Welcome back to the channel. Welcome to MobyCast. Thanks for being here. Click subscribe. But seriously, this is the fourth part of our um, release and remaster of The Birth of NoSQL and DynamoDB. So we've been re-releasing this because it really is one of our most fun series. Um, it's one where we get to know Chris and his personal story of founding Viathan, which was one of the original internet scale databases, like before some of you were even born. Um, one was, it was thought of before Mongo, before DynamoDB, and before the cloud itself. So Chris tells the story of leaving Microsoft to found this company, and he told, he told that story mostly in the first two episodes of the series. So now in episode four, three and four, we've been really diving deep into how DynamoDB works, and in episode five, we'll sort of compare how DynamoDB works to how Viathan worked. Um, and that's a way to just get to know Chris and me and our style of communicating deep technical details. Uh, so that you can listen to the rest of this of MobyCast and, and know that you're getting the good stuff. So I hope you enjoyed this fourth part of our five-part series. And yeah, let's jump right in. Welcome to MobyCast, a show about the techniques and technologies used by the best cloud-native software teams. Each week, your hosts John Christensen and Chris Hickman pick a software concept and dive deep to figure it out. Welcome, Chris. It's another episode of MobyCast. Hey, John. How are you doing? Good. So we're missing Rich today. Um, hopefully we'll be able to put this together. His producer talent is much needed. And uh, when we don't have him, I, I do feel a little, uh, just a lack of, of proper orientation. But we got we to gotta get this done this week. So we're charging on without him. So we'll see you next week, Rich. <laughs> Sorely missed. Yes. Um, so yeah, we've been doing a series on DynamoDB. My favorite episode of the series when you, was when you, the first one when you talked about your own personal relationship with the world of internet scale databases and how you did a startup that built a product, um, which DynamoDB later referenced as prior art. So that was my favorite. And then we, and then after that, we did one, uh, just about kind of what DynamoDB is all about. And, and we got into, you know, a high level overview of it. And essentially the, the database elements we talked a lot about last time, about tables and items and partition keys and sort keys and secondary indexes we talked about as well. I, I think that just even saying that this time, I do, I do feel like I have more to learn there and I may need to even myself go back and listen to what we talked about before. This time we want to talk about more about the architecture and components of how DynamoDB is put together. Before we do that, I, uh, one last thing that we talked about last time is, is partition keys and global secondary indexes and how they determine how data is partitioned across storage nodes. I think that that is going to be sort of fundamental to talking about the architecture. So I think if we keep in mind that, that data is partitioned across storage nodes and that that's a, a key feature of being able to scale out as opposed to scaling up, then having that in mind... This episode, we'll talk about the architecture, and I think that, that that concept will come up, you know, probably again and again, wouldn't you say, Chris? Yeah, it's um, a lot of those database elements that we talked about will definitely reference the, the architecture and the architecture decisions and the components that DynamoDB has directly support that. Right, and I think, you know, I think one of the things that'll be nice about today's episode is talking about how the whole database is put together. 
um, as we continue to talk about tables and items and partition keys and sort keys, understanding how the database is built will help us understand those things. Because I think if, as a user, if you don't, if you don't get into understanding how the thing is put together, then, then some of those definitions, like what is a partition key, feels a little abstract. So yeah, let's, let's talk about the real stuff under the hood. It looks like our first thing to talk about is just, you know, we're going to talk about the architecture and components. And it looks like the first thing you've listed here, Chris, is the request router. Right. Yeah. So maybe um, just to pop up a little bit. So, sure. um, so we've talked about reInvent. Both you and I went there and attended a lot of interesting discussions. This whole series was kicked off based upon, in part, uh, Warner Vogel's keynote, um, where yeah. he talked about his worst day, at, worst day at Amazon. And so, you know, again, Thousands of sessions there at reInvent. One of the ones that I went to was was titled Amazon DynamoDB Under the Hood, How We Built a Hyperscale Database. And so when I saw this in the catalog, I was like, oh, this, this, is, this is awesome. This is really great. So what it was, was it, is a, it was a talk by one of the, the senior principal engineers there on the Dynamo, uh, DynamoDB team where it promised to disclose for the first time the underpinnings of DynamoDB and how we run a fully managed non-relational database used by more than 100,000 customers. We cover the underlying technical aspects of how an application works with DynamoDB for authentication, metadata, storage nodes, streams, backup, and global replication. This was kind of like a, it felt like a real privilege to treat where um, Amazon was opening up the kimono, if you will, and really just given um, a deep dive into how DynamoDB has been architected and constructed and how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was very interested in this, given, given my background. As exactly. Yeah. And, and to be able to kind of see like, okay, how does this compare and contrast? So so that's what we'll talk about today is basically kind of a um, a recap of that session um, going into like the various components of the system that they, they talked about in this particular session. All right. Wonderful. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to do it. So yeah, help, yeah get us started. Sure. Um, so maybe um, first off, we can talk about just high level, um, the components um, that make up DynamoDB. For our purposes, to kind of keep it um, high level, we'll, we'll talk about there's 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 four components that we'll we'll discuss. Um, so one is the request router. The request router is basically the the front line service that um, receives requests and handles them and and is responsible for basically all you know all all, all the primitives that that DynamoDB supports. Another component are is the storage node. Um, so these are the the actual services that are responsible for persisting data and for retrie- and for retrieving it. Okay. Then there's there's the um, partition metadata system. Um, so this is the part of the system that keeps track of what data is where, right? Okay. Um, which is super important. It's it's basically that's that's what glues together that allows re- the request router to know what storage nodes to talk to. So that's a pretty key part of the system. Okay. And yeah, and then another the the other component that we can talk about is there they they call it auto admin. And so this is kind of like a um a management component to the system that does all the housekeeping that's necessary for 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 managing a system like this. So it's does things like it deals with partition splits and we'll talk about that like what that means. Um 
making sure the metadata is up to date, provisioning tables, a bunch of other things. But basically, there's a lot of housekeeping that goes on in a system like this. It's very dynamic. Um, and so that's what auto admin is, is there for. So those are the four components that we'll talk about. Okay. The, so hearing the four components, we said request router, we said storage node, we said partition metadata system, and we said auto admin. And uh, just kind of logically, my mind was expecting there to be something that like a query executor or something, like a, a place where the the you know compute gets done. I assume that's probably for for like an individual query. I assume that's sort of a, a combination of the meta the partition metadata system and the storage node. The partition metadata system basically saying hey, these are the two storage nodes that are going to do this work for you, and the storage nodes then do the work of going and finding this stuff on a disk and getting it back? Because I, I just didn't, I was waiting for you to say, and there's the query execution module, you know, or something, like the, the thing that does the work of getting stuff. Mm-hmm. It basically is, is handled by the, by the mesh of the system itself, right? Um, okay. Kind of what, you're, what you're alluding to there. So it's, so the, the so front end... Kind of spread across... Those, the, some of the different things that we've talked that you mentioned these four these four pieces again the the, the front end are these request routers and this is what clients are, are talking to because clients they 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 shouldn't know like how how stuff's partitioned um, where things are and whatnot so so request routers that's that's their their job so they're taking these incoming requests whether they be puts or gets queries deletes, um, whatever, whatever that request is, it's then consulting the, it's, it's working in concert with the metadata system to figure out, okay, what's, what's the right storage node to go talk to? And then it forwards that request to the storage node. I think the, 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 one of the answers is right there in the name. So router request router, it's like, it's, it's literally routing to where the data is routing to the storage nodes. Am I understanding you right? So, Otherwise, what is what's the purpose of the word router? What are we routing to? The primary purpose for the request router is given an input request, figure out, consult the metadata system where where does the data for this live, um, and then forward that request on and request that data from that particular node, and then retrieve back the results. It probably does some additional processing after it comes back, and then send it off to the to the client as a response. Right on. So, so there's there's definitely there, the these storage nodes. I mean, it's not just a disk, right? I mean, there's software there for sure. So it's, mm-hmm. it's these 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 requests coming in. It's it's looking something up by by a key, or it's consulting its index, and it's going and retrieving that particular piece of data. Right. Yeah, and I think that that's what that's what I'm trying to get my head around. Maybe I'm thinking about things in terms of how load balancers work, or maybe I'm thinking about things in terms of how cluster application server clusters work or traditional database clusters. And I'm, I'm imagining, you know, originally I was imagining, oh, the request router is going to get me to some machine um, because maybe it's distributing load or something. But what, it, what it's really more like is that my DynamoDB, even though, even though when I go and set it up, I'm like, I'm saying to, the, you know, in the console or via the API, hey, make me a table. And I don't really see multiple multiple machines or nodes becoming involved in the creation of that table. It's all totally a black box to me. But behind the scenes, maybe I've made a table of of uh, concerts coming up over the next five years and like all the concerts 
of bands from A to G are in one node and H to K are in another node. And, you know, K above that is in a third node just for, you know, sake of argument. And then I make a, a request that for a band, you know, that's name starts in with the letter R and that's going to be in the third node. And the request router is the thing that's going to get me to that node. That's where the, the work of getting the information out of the, out of the table is going to happen. Am I, am I kind of starting to, to like get a sense of, of what, cause otherwise like it's hard to get my head around. Right. Because I thought I just made a table and I would just be talking to a system that knows about that table. But it sounds like behind the scenes, I'm talking to a number of different nodes, each of which may contain parts of my table. You know, it definitely goes back to like one of the key principles of, of NoSQL and why relational databases have problem scaling is in order to, to, to scale, you really have to scale out and to scale out means you have to partition data, right? So that's really one of the core fundamental things that DynamoDB does. Um, and so, yeah, these, these front-end request routers are basically, think of it as like partition managers or um, partition consultants or whatnot, right? They're the ones that are, that are responsible for taking these input requests and saying, you know what, what you asked for really, like that's, your data could be spread over like 10 different storage nodes or something like that, right? Or five mm-hmm. storage nodes. And it's responsible for figuring out, okay, which one is it? And then routing it to it. So you can kind of think of it, in, I mean, it's almost like it's, you don't really have one database. Maybe you have like, it's like you have five, right? Mm-hmm. And so the request router is the one for kind of figuring out like which one should it go to. So in that standpoint, it really is a router. I mean, I think it's kind of like, but it's the one that has the, you can kind of think of it as like, it's almost like DNS in a way. Yeah, yeah. So it had basically that partition metadata system is the routing tables, right? And so it's consulting those routing tables to figure out, okay, what is the what is the address that it should go talk to for this particular request? Cool. Right. So it's looking at that partition key or that global secondary index um, and saying, okay, what does that actually map to? Let me go consult the partition metadata system um, and then route that request accordingly. Right on. I think this is making sense to me. I, I, I have so many questions still, but let's let's try to push forward. So we can. So we 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 talked quite a bit about the request router. Um, maybe some some additional things to talk about with the storage nodes is that there's two main types of storage nodes. There's the leader, and then there's the secondaries. Um, so you know you can think of the leader as the as the master. This is the one that always has the most up-to-date version of the data. And then they have two secondaries. And so these are the replicas, right? So, so it's, a, it's, it's three, three storage nodes, um, essentially, for every partition, if you will, of your, of your database. These replicas, obviously, they're, they're, they receive the updates from the leader themselves. Right, so, so that's something to to keep in mind. As I mentioned, the the leader is propagating those rights to the to the peer storage secondary nodes, mm-hmm. um, and the leader, you know, so a big part of this is like, hey, we need to know like what happens when there's a problem, right? What if the leader fails? You know, what if a secondary fails and whatnot? So, all that stuff has to be thought through, and there there needs to be ways to handle that. So. Um, you know, in this particular talk, they shared the 
that the leader is sending out heartbeat messages every one and a half seconds to its secondary nodes. If the secondary nodes, if they don't receive those heartbeats, then they will, the system will then perform an election to basically elect a new, a new leader. They use a algorithm called Paxos, um, which has um, been in the academic domain for, for quite some time. There's been a few papers uh, written about it and describing it. It's a pretty common algorithm for, for dealing with these distributed systems and when you need to have elect a leader, a primary, a master, if you will, type thing. So they use Paxos. So at this point, you know, we have storage nodes and each storage node is a leader and two secondaries. At that point, it feels like that stuff, while it is part of the overall architecture of DynamoDB, it's really part of the, of you know, solving for the availability and the availability piece and the, and the reliability and, and like resilience of data piece. And it's like, and it feels like the, the solution there is really similar to what we may already be familiar with in terms of relational databases. I'm going to make, you know, three, ver- you know, a leader and and two followers of my of my relational database and uh, you know read replicas of my relational database and that's that's how I'm going to make sure that that if the main node goes down I'll have backups like that but it feels like that that piece is like we're going to do that for each partition of the DynamoDB and who knows how many partitions we have but within each part and and what is causing you know we have partition keys that decide how the partitions get divvied up. We don't know how many there are, but for each one, we're going to have this this overall clustering architecture behind it so that we can trust that our data is going to be super reliable and super, you know, just there. Is that a mm-hmm. fair fair description of what's happening at those storage node levels? Yeah, I mean, this is definitely one, you know, this is one of the um it's the patterns, right, for distributed systems. So mm-hmm. when you when you scale out, that means you're talking clusters. Um, and you're either clustering stateful or stateless resources, and both those have very common patterns. That you're, you're, you're it's just a different for each application. Like you may have a, you're just going to be implementing that same pattern in whatever way makes sense for your particular domain, right? So yeah, right. so just like you'll, you'll like RDS, right? Like you're, you want to run your your relational database in a safe, secure, reliable way, then yeah, you better have replicas and you better be cross AZ. And you know, you have to have a know you have to know when failures happen and, and what does failover mean and how does that work. And same thing goes for S3. S3, everything is replicated across three AZs um, mm-hmm. in the, in the standard yeah, and S3 class, right? That's the subtlety that I'm getting at. And it's hard to it's hard to put my finger right on it. But the subtlety that I'm getting at is that Right now, the part of the architecture that we're talking about for DynamoDB is really related to the fact that it's a managed service. And so these decisions of how we're going to create availability have been decided by Amazon. Whereas if we were doing Mongo or something and we wanted to have each partition have four nodes, we could do that. And if DynamoDB wasn't a managed service and it was instead something that you could just install somewhere, then we might, you know, decide that for our needs, we only need two per sort, you know, two you know, a leader and a secondary per storage node, but that's not something that we get to do because DynamoDB is only a managed service, and this is how mm-hmm. Amazon has set it up as a managed service. Yeah, absolutely. And so this is, and this all goes to like what level of of uptime um, 
availability they want to guarantee right exactly so, yeah um and this is why they they do offer sometimes um differences so like you can go s3 one zone um mm-hmm. if you want you can pay a little mm-hmm. bit it's it's a little bit less but you don't get as as good of availability versus the default of going across three zones with with dynamo yeah there's there's no options there for right now um but uh it's one of those things where uh you know, database is definitely pretty, pretty core, pretty critical, um, (laughs) you know, cost wise. I mean, this is something that like, I think, you know, most people would be doing anyhow, right? Like it's just, you would hope, but they totally wouldn't be right. They'd be like, Oh yeah, I think I have a read replica. Yeah. And we do backups. Wait, we don't do backups, but I think they're automated. Right. (laughs) We've never tested a restore. That's what, that's what really happens in the real world. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, if, someone like Amazon did that, then the first outage would be front page news everywhere. And yeah. it would, it would just be, yeah. So, and, and I mean, obviously Amazon knows how to run things and they've learned from experience and, and whatnot. So, so yeah, absolutely. Managed service, they have, um, they get to decide, you know, how it's, how it's architected, how many replicas they have duplicates, mm-hmm. you know, what that, what that is. Cause they also have to, you know, keep it up and perform, you know, they live up to their SLA, right? That they're yeah. that they're promising. Quick interruption to ask you to please go to mobicast.fm slash show dash notes and sign up for our show notes. Those give us a chance to send you the show notes once a week. Um, they're detailed outlines that have all the information that we present in the show, which makes your email searchable. Really cool. And we definitely don't use that address to spam you. In fact, we can barely remember even to send out the show notes every week. So thanks for signing up. So uh, you have a note here about replication, which um, we kind of talked about already, but also you have a note about strongly consistent versus eventually consistent. Just about any kind of system like this um, where you do have replication going on, there's almost always this this concept of do you want strongly consistent replicas or do you want eventually consistent replicas? And there is there's trade-offs between the two of them, between performance versus that consistency model, right? So strongly consistent in in general usually means like we're not gonna call this operation done until it has been replicated to all to all the replicas, right? So you're you're basically it's taking you longer for you to basically commit that request um, because it has to do multiple multiple writes and it has to wait um, for potentially locking up, locking things up longer. You know, if you need to if you need to prevent other writes from happening while you write that one thing or other reads from happening while you write that stuff. Yeah, I mean, depending on how your um, how it's how it's architected, the you, chances are you don't have necessarily contention on that particular row that you're writing, but it may very well cause contention up at the request routing level mm-hmm. um, type thing. Um, so that's strongly consistent. Probably the the more um, normal um, mode for, for systems like this is eventually consistent. And so eventually consistent just says that, hey, we're going to write to the basically to the master, um, make that commit, and then we will report back that this request is done, um, return back to the caller, while the replication is now handle is is now happening after the fact, so it it may be possible when 
when that caller gets back the response that, yeah, your rights happened, if they actually tried to read from one of the replicas, the data wouldn't be there yet. Um, it would still be the old version because the replication hasn't happened completely. But eventually it will make it there. Um, so that's the eventually consistent. So this reduces the number of writes that you have to do, the right operations you have to do whenever you are making um, a mutation. But it comes at the, the cost of, you know, okay, you may have some uh, in- inconsistencies in your data for, for some short period of time. The, the tr- so it sounds kind of bad, right? Like to say, oh, eventually the data will be there. Eventually we'll be consistent. But in practice, it's, it's really not, not a huge problem um, because you're, you're already dealing with a very dynamic system. And depending on the data that you are using, if, 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 you're, if you're doing something like a, uh, like a shopping cart and trying to do a transaction um, or you know, some, you know, something of that nature, then the consistency problem is, becomes more important. But if you're doing things right. like... Hey, I, I created a new message, um, right? Or like think, think about like an, in a chat, like if you had a yep. chat application, right, with chat messages, um, and your clients are requesting the the chat history. So one of them, one person may request it, and they'll see the new message, and another one doesn't see it. But then they they request the messages, you know, a, a few seconds later, and and there it is. So to the end user it was no big deal. They didn't really notice anything at all, right? Right, and and people are, I mean, everybody just refreshes their browser. Like, you know, if they don't see the thing that they're expecting, it's sort of already ingrained from age three years old onward to try to refresh whatever you're looking at. Mm-hmm. So people kind of are trained in advance to deal with an eventual consistency. Yeah, swipe down to see the spinny. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, so uh, maybe we should talk a little bit about um, maybe a, a walkthrough. So th- this was another thing they, and this is actually how they he kind of started off the talk was just kind of like doing a walkthrough um, for like operations for like what it to, to get, to get a, a piece of data or to put a piece of data. It's a lot easier to do this in diagram format. Um, sure. And that's one of the reasons why we kind of talked through this way. So hopefully we're painting a better, a, a better mental picture um, before we talk about it. And we, we've probably already touched on this a little bit, but, you know, just walking through, like, what does it mean to do a, to do a get? Um, so this is like your caller, maybe you have a, um, again, a table of chat messages or something like that. And it's now requesting the most recent chat message or the, the, the most recent message. And so what happens there? And so in that particular case, the DynamoDB client is is making its call. It's getting sent to the to the the front end request router, and the request routers are obviously duplicated. Um, they're behind load balancers so that they scale out. The request router receives that request from the client. It's going to then authenticate with the caller, so it's going to do that that dance to to make sure that this this particular caller is authorized to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, it's going to be consulting with the partition metadata system. Um, it's going to be looking at the item that they're requesting. What is wh- where does that live based upon the partition key or the global secondary index? And so again, doing that like the equivalent of like looking up in the routing table. Okay, where where should this go? Mm-hmm. And once it figures that out, then that's when the request router will then go and, and request retrieve that item from 
its assigned storage node. And so that's that's essentially the workflow for for a GET um, request. Okay, that makes sense. I I'm just just in my mind. I'm just kind of trying to picture how this works, and I imagine that the the request router, you know, it has it has the query. It's able to figure out what the table is from the query. It's able to figure out, you know, it maybe uses the partition metadata system to figure out what storage nodes the data that the query is requesting is going to be on. But then it, in my mind, it's forwarding kind of the whole part of the query that's relevant to the particular storage node to that storage node. And then that, that storage node itself is doing some work like, oh, okay, I just got this request for this data. That's my data. And I know how I've got my data organized. So I'm going to go reach into the file system at this location and grab you know the next ten blocks of data or whatever based on my understanding of how the door, the data is laid out inside of my node, and then I'm going to send it back. So in my mind, and so I guess what I'm getting at is, is that in my mind, the storage node is doing the work of knowing where the data is on disk and retrieving it, as opposed to just having the data and the and the request router or the partition metadata system saying. Go get it. You know what I mean? Like in one sense, like the, the master overall computer can say, go into my network file system and grab this out. And in another in another way, it's actually sending the query on and the storage node is going, okay, I'm gonna now I'm gonna go inside the disk and get the stuff I want out. You see how like Yeah, I mean again, don't think of the storage node as just a disk. I mean, it really is a database. Um and okay. it, there's a yeah. database engine there, right? So it and all the things that go along with that. So it, it has indexes there. It has B-tree indexes for all the indexes on that mm-hmm. particular table. Um, and so it uses that to figure out, okay, where is this, you know, how to go efficiently retrieve that data. And got pick it, it got out, it. Right? So it, it's a full up database engine. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah, that's now. Now I have a better mental picture. Cool, awesome. And so, and then they they also walk through just a, um, the corollary of how do you do writes, right? So, what does a put look like in the system? And so, a lot of that is is pretty similar, especially the first part of it, right? Where so the the DynamoDB client is making the call. It's hitting the front end request routers. Um, the authentication is happening. It's consulting um, the partition metadata system to figure out what the leader is, the storage node leader for that particular piece of data. And then it's now the request router is going to forward on that write request to the storage node leader. The leader then replicates that request to its secondary nodes. And the acknowledgement of the request is sent back after... And, and this is this is the eventual consistency model that's by default, right? So it's going to send back the acknowledgement after the write has happened to the leader, and it's been replicated to at least to, to one secondary. So it it does this for in case of failure, right? So that, that there's not just one copy of the data; there needs to be at least two. Some other systems use things like transaction logs, but based upon this talk, it sounds like it's there. They don't. It was. It wasn't. It wasn't totally clear, right, on what they're doing there. But this is the default behavior: is to um, write to the to the leader. The leader also then replicates to the two secondaries, and it it will return back confirmation once it's been written to at least one of the secondaries, and the other secondary is not yet updated. So, listening to this, I just have a hard time believing that 
all of this can be efficient because we have a load balancer handling requests in front of the request router. The request router is talking to a partition metadata system that then is figuring out where a leader is to talk to, sending a sending a query to that or a put to that, and then that's happening and actually writing to disk, and then all of it is tra- traveling back up the tree and then back out to the client. And it all needs to happen lightning fast. And here I've got a JavaScript unit test that takes like two and a half seconds to run. <laughs> it's like, that certainly wouldn't be okay if it took two and a half seconds for all that to happen. Uh, but it seems like a whole lot of stuff that has to happen. How can they possibly make that all fast? Yeah, and, and truth is, I mean, this all happens in milliseconds, right? Right, so, yeah. Um, but, I mean, think about it. I mean, there's really, um, this is actually pretty stream. I mean, this is pretty bare bones and streamlined. I mean, this is built for speed and it's built for scalability. So those front-end request routers, I mean, they're they're built to be very, very fast. They're um, they're lightweight. Um, they're um, they're caching information about the partition from the... I'm, I'm sure they're caching partition metadata information, right? right. So they're not even... They, they probably have the map. Um, they're in memory on their nodes, right? So it's very fast to consult, like, which storage node I got to go talk to. They're on the same... I mean, the, the networking connectivity they have with the storage nodes is obviously the best that you can get. Um, sure, sure, yeah. Amazon is optimized for that. So these requests over to the storage nodes are very fast. And then the database engine on those storage nodes is very, very tight purpose built just for this. So I guess um, one thing that still though to just kind of poke at this, it's like one thing that I, I maybe isn't necessarily classically slow, but in my experience has been typically slow is lots of JSON parsing. Um, and so I don't know if it's the case that you know the request router receives a request that contains a big old chunk chunk of JSON in it, but I imagine that it could be the case. And if it is that, if it is the case, like that, that this whole database is kind of just dealing in lots of JSON, wouldn't that also tend to be a problem? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, like the JSON's not too much of an issue because, as far as like the systems consider, like cares, it's just a it's just a bag of data, um, and it really like so like for a sure, put, yeah, if you're just for, getting if you're just getting a whole document out, it's like yep, let me go get that bag of data sure, and I'll send it yeah. to you. But if if I've got to you know traverse some JSON to figure out. Oh, okay. Now, deep inside here, I can see which mm-hmm. which storage node I need to route you to. Wouldn't like mm-hmm. aren't some queries? Don't they require that kind of processing? Well, again, so you're you're going to be going off the um, the partition key um, uh-huh. to a note or or the global secondary index on actually what what partition you're going to. Once you got to that point, then the rest of the query processing is all there on that that storage node, and then that's okay. what those those B tree indexes are for. Like when you do want to access based upon a property inside your JSON document, so it's not it's not necessarily parsing the JSON then, right? It's going off its 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 indexes, its high speed indexes that are implemented mm-hmm. as B trees. It's very fast, very efficient. I think that's just such a fascinating thing because it's not intuitive, right? You have a you have a, essentially a, a database whose whose whole world is storing JSON in it. That's what it's all about, and yet it's built to not ever really have to deal much in JSON. It's built to not have to parse JSON very much. Like the whole point of it is to to avoid having to do that. It's pretty wild to think about. Yeah, I mean, if you think it's really similar to like any database. System and like look at SQL. I mean, SQL is the same. At the end of the day, like 
there's a certain layout format that it's writing data to disk in and it's got to know offsets and it's got to do you know parsing and and figure out exactly where that stuff is it's got to handle these these queries that come in and it's going against you know our you know whatever fields that you're you're querying on and so it has its indexes to go figure out okay where is it um, Mm -hmm. on disk to go retrieve this stuff but at that point it's just pulling back the row the record right so from that standpoint, it's just—I mean—JSON's really just a different way of marshaling, unmarshaling the data. Well, very cool. I think we're running out of out of time here, and we've gone a little long. But I want to give us a chance to, you know, give you a chance to add anything more before we kind of shut it down. Yeah, I think I think we made we made really good progress here. The the only thing we really didn't touch on too much was the the auto admin component, and which is slightly unfortunate. It it is a pretty important part of the system, oh. and there's some. There's just really interesting problems that arise with a system like this. The biggest thing is just partitions. Like the more data you, you, the longer the time that your database is up and the more data you put into it, the more likely that, hey, I'm going to get a hot partition or partitions are just going to get too big. They, they're, they're now, performance is starting to become an issue or I am starting to reach a limit. So what do I do? I need to actually split this up. And so this partition has to go from one to two. Um, and how do you do that, right? How do you decide when to do it? And then how do you do the data migration? Um, how does all that, you know, keep in sync and do it without all of it happen behind the scenes without clients knowing about it? Um, so that's the reason for things like this auto admin component. That's one of the things that it does. Um, and along with other things and just it's, it, it detects failures, it detects corruptions and um, just all that kind of general housekeeping. So it's a really, it's not a very glamorous component. It's not, um, but it's, it's really important. Like without that, like this whole thing just does not work. Right. Service. Right. That makes sense. <clears throat> and those were going to be some of my questions is like, how do you know how many partitions you have? Does it even matter? How much data do you have to put in to have a part, you know, a new partition get created? And I think mm-hmm. some of the answers to that are inside how they auto admin works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And those are all, you know, since Amazon runs this as a service, those are questions that they have that that they decide how to answer it and they have thresholds and obviously they have heuristics and, and whatnot. And they're they're based upon various metrics, whether it could be like, you know, performance, you know, response time. Um, it could be, you know, they want it, they, they don't want things to get Beyond a certain limit, from from a size standpoint, for from a partition size, could be things like replication lag. A bunch of different things would go into that to say, okay, you know what, we need to do a split. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Makes sense. Well, excellent. Um, yeah, I think next week we'll talk a little bit more about Python and how that relates back to this architecture we talked about. So we'll do one more conversation about DynamoDB before moving on in the world of AWS. Awesome. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Craig. Right. Thanks, John.
Thanks for listening to that episode. You heard Chris Hickman, John Christensen, that's me, and you also heard Rich Statz, who was our original producer and the person responsible for the idea of MobyCast. We miss him, but we still work with him in other parts of our business. Um, and also a special thanks to our producer, Roy England. And we are real people that you can find and really communicate with. And we're available at mobycast.fm and also on Reddit at r slash mobycast. See you next week. <laughs>